Hello and welcome to St. Paul's United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Mike Agnew, and it's great to have you listening to our sermons. If you don't belong to our church and you're interested in learning more, you can find us on our website at www.cherokeemethodist.com. Now, today we are continuing our summer sermon series in which we are looking at Paul's letters. Paul is considered to be one of the most influential Christian thinkers in church history, second perhaps only to Jesus. I mean, he wrote most of what became the New Testament. He has, his writings are considered to be some of the most inspirational and also some of the most controversial writings in church history. So we don't spend any one t- any too much time on any one letter, but we spend one Sunday on each letter. In a few Sundays coming up, we're actually going to cover two letters in one sermon. We're mainly just looking at the main ideas and the overarching themes in his letters, but we do hit upon spots here and there that need some extra attention. Uh, this series is called Reading Other People's Mail, and that's just a reminder to us that that's literally what we're doing. We are reading other people's mail. We are reading letters that were written to specific churches in a specific time for specific reasons. These are not written to us. Now, that's not to say God can't speak to us through them. He can, but they are not originally written to us, and so that means we have to do our homework. It's not quite as simple as saying, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. We have to do more work than that to figure out how it applies to us today. So today, we're going to look at Paul's letter to the Colossians. Like Philippians, this is a letter from Paul and Timothy, it says. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at more letters that were written to Timothy, but this one is from Paul and Timothy. And so we learn a couple of things in the beginning of the letter. Uh, First of all, we learn that the people here first heard the gospel, not from Paul, but from another person we haven't heard of before, This person's name is Epaphras. Like a person that we mentioned last Sunday, Epaphras is a person that we only hear about in this part of the scripture, so we know next to nothing about Epaphras except that he was a major leader in the first century church. And so Paul had not started this church. He wrote letters to churches that he hadn't started. He wrote letters to churches he hadn't even visited, including the letter to the Romans. And so in this letter, Paul writes some pretty amazing things about Jesus. I mean, you can tell there's some pretty well-developed theology here, which is one reason why some scholars debate the authorship of this letter, whether it's actually written by Paul or some of, the, some of Paul's followers after his death. So what do I mean by that? Well, This whole idea of authorship and what was acceptable back then was very different than the concept of authorship today. For instance, today I would never write a story and then put it in Stephen King's name so that it would get read by more people, right? I mean, no doubt if I wrote a story and put Stephen King's name on it, it's going to get more readings than if I just use my name because more people know Stephen King, right? He's more uh, notorious as an author. He's more well-known. He's more popular for a specific genre. And so this is what many people did back then. People, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for benevolent reasons, 
Perhaps they were disciples of the person who passed away, and they would write things in that person's name, not as a way of stealing glory, but as a way of honoring them. You know, as though they are saying, this is what the author would have said. So an example today would be the Jesus Calling devotional books that are written from the point of view of Jesus' words, perhaps what he would say to you today, even though we make it clear it's not written by him, it's written by somebody else. Uh, Michael Crichton is a popular author who passed away from cancer several years ago. Recently, there was a draft of a book that he had started but hadn't finished. And so there was a book that came out a few years back that had Michael Crichton's name on it, but it also had another author's name. And that author finished the story trying to write in the style and vocabulary that Michael Crichton would have used. And so, you know, we have examples of that today. But of course, we make it clear that it's not that person writing the book, but it's somebody else. Back then, they didn't do that, right? So... Some would write in people's names to honor them. Some people would write in another person's name to just get more more reader readers to the book. So, for example, there are many different books in the name of Enoch, Abraham, uh, all the different apostles. I mean, you name it. Many documents exist. And what we would call fraudulent behavior today, they accept it as freely as acceptable. It's just the way it was back then. We don't have to agree with it or like it, but it is what it is. And there are some level, level letters of Paul that are undisputed, meaning most scholars believe they were written by Paul. Others that are more disputed. They're not sure because the vocabulary and the writing styles are very different, or perhaps there are more developed ideas that were not in vogue in the days when Paul would have been alive. So, There are seven undisputed letters of Paul. That means most scholars are pretty sure Paul wrote them. Those include Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 1st Thessalonians, and Philemon. Now, there are some disputed letters where scholars are evenly divided. Those would be Ephesians, Colossians, which we're talking about today, and 2nd Thessalonians. And then there are some letters that most scholars are all in agreement that they were not written by Paul. Those include 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. So take it for what it is, you know. Uh, Hebrews is an example of a book that before our time used to be attributed to Paul long ago, but now it's considered anonymous. So whether or not these letters are written by Paul, they're in the Bible for a reason. And it was thought that they were inspired. So we take it for what it is. We hold some of those things in tension, not knowing for sure. And that's okay. But for the sake of ease, I'm going to speak as though Paul wrote these letters. So as I said, Paul wrote some amazing things about Jesus. You know, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 15 to 20. I want to read it for you. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation. Because all things were created by him, both in the heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible, whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
He existed before all things, and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the one who is firstborn from among the dead, so that he might occupy the first place in everything. Because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him, and he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or in the heavens, he brought peace through the blood of his cross. Wow, that's saying a lot when you think about it. You know, he's firstborn of all creation, meaning Jesus was present at creation. He, in him all things were created and all things sustained their existence. God is pleased to have all of his dwellness, fullness dwell in him. And then in chapter 2, verse 9, he says it another way. He says, all the fullness of the deity lives in Christ's body. So, wow, that's, that's a lot. Jesus just not a, is not just a prophet or a special person. He's not even just the Messiah. No, Jesus is God and he is eternal and all things were made and maintained their existence through him. That's a lot coming from a boy from a little town of Nazareth. So all the fullness of God dwells in him. Or as Jesus puts it in the Gospel of John, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In another place he says, I and the Father are one. Now if that's true, if the fullness of God is in Jesus, then when Jesus walked this earth, he was the clearest picture of God that, that we've ever had. And that means that Jesus is the clearer image of God, or I should say he is a clearer image of God than any others that preceded him. So those who knew Jesus had a clearer picture of God than Abraham did, for, exist, for example, or Isaac, or Jacob, or Joseph, or Moses, or Joshua, or David, or Solomon, or you name it, anyone who came before. They may have experienced God in a very real way, but not as clearly as those who knew Jesus. That's why I like what uh, Pastor Brian Zond from the Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri says when he says, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There was never a time when God was not like Jesus. We didn't always know this, but now we do. And I would argue further that if you know Jesus today, even if you didn't meet him in person long ago, if you have Jesus residing in your heart, you also have a clearer picture of God than those who never knew him. So this helps us greatly in our task of interpreting scripture, especially when we get to some of the troublesome passages. For instance, in the Old Testament, when Elijah calls forth lightning to strike people dead who just want to ask him for a favor. But then in the New Testament, when the disciples suggest the same thing to Jesus, he rebukes them. You listen to Jesus, not Elijah, for what God is like. And when Moses has someone stoned to death for gathering sticks on the Sabbath, but Jesus says Sabbath is made for us and not the other way around, you listen to Jesus not Moses. See, Jesus is our filter for everything else. All right, now moving on. Paul's main idea in his letter is that God through Jesus has made us alive. Now, this is a spiritual metaphor when he's talking about life and death here. He's talking about being dead in sin versus alive in Christ. You know, forgiving our sin, renewing us. How did Jesus do this? Through his cross. You know, using a legal metaphor, he says he canceled the indebtedness to the law. In chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing 
over them by the cross. Now, there's two ways to look at that idea of powers and authorities. First is Rome, right? On a very practical, everyday world example, on this level, Christ was victorious over Rome. Rome gave him their worst. He took it and he shamed them by forgiving them. And then he rose victorious. And three centuries later, Christianity would become Rome's religion. <laughs> so that's, excuse me, so that's definitely victory over the powers and authorities of Rome. But we can also look at it from another level. And that is the spiritual forces of darkness, the powers of hell and death. And there's, there are traditions that say that when Jesus was dead but not resurrected yet, he went down to the realm of the dead and he disarmed and defeated death and led captives free before resurrection. Right? So there are different ways to think about that, but basically what it means is that that we are renewed, we have a new life in Christ. And, and so Paul goes on to say that since we have a new life in Christ, we should put off our old self and put on our new self. That's another way of saying repent. Think differently. Live differently. You know, this refers not to some kind of religious status, but to daily life. You know, how we treat one another. It's very practical. I want to read for you chapter 3, verses 12 to 17 to give you an idea of what I'm talking about here. Paul says, Therefore, as God's choice, holy and loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other, and if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you were called in one body, and be thankful people. It goes on from there, but you get the idea. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Our law is love. This goes right to how we treat one another, because once again, people don't care about your theology as much as they care how you treat them. Now, while on this same subject, Paul gets into the controversy of the century for the first century church. You know, there are people who believed that non-Jewish people had to follow the Jewish law if they were going to follow Christ. Paul did not agree with them. He believed that Gentiles should not have that burden of the law placed upon them. And so he gets into this a little bit, talking about this being free in Christ, being made alive in Christ. And he says that we shouldn't judge anyone about what they eat or drink, meaning some people believe some foods are forbidden, some think that they aren't. We shouldn't judge people based on those things or religious festivals or the Sabbath or other various laws. Because that Jewish law, he said, is a shadow of what's to come, and now the reality is found in Christ. Very controversial, of course, if you want to hold on to tradition and the theology handed down from Moses from God. But that was Paul's belief. He believed that this new time with Christ uh, meant that they had to read their scriptures differently than they had before, and things were changing. All right, now, later on in chapter 3, he talks about husbands and wives, children and parents, and slaves and masters. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because I spent more time on this in our episode on Ephesians, and you can go back to that to spend more time on it. But basically, he's referring to Roman household codes, which are Roman laws 
that stipulate how the household is supposed to function. Usually those laws would only have freedoms and abilities for the men, the privileged in society. Paul moves the needle here towards equality when he spends a lot of time, especially in Ephesians, but he spends a lot of time giving preference to the women and the children and the slaves. Right Now, he doesn't go as far as we would like, and that's the whole point. We're not meant to stay where Paul is or was 2,000 years ago. You know, Paul moved the needle, and we're called to continue to move the needle through the power of the Holy Spirit, just as Scripture has taught us to do. So the Holy Spirit moves us onward. Now, towards the end of the letter, he mentions chains, so we know that he was in prison as he wrote this, and he ends the letter with greetings. You know, he greets a number of people. Of note is a greeting to a lady named uh, Nympha and the church that meets in her house. So she must have been a leader in the church for her to be the only name mentioned. So don't let anyone tell you women can't be in ministry, or at least don't use Paul's scriptures to try to make an argument, because I think Paul would disagree with you. All right, so those are the main ideas here. All the fullness of God lives in Jesus, so he is the clearest image of God. Use him as your filter for everything else. Christ has made us alive in Christ, and through Christ, God has made us alive, so put on your new self based on how you treat others. And let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, because after all, it's not about passing a theology exam, but about treating others as children of God. Amen. God bless and have a great week.